Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Good morning. The title of today's message is Don't Lose Focus. Have you ever realized how quickly we can lose focus? Like, Sometimes I feel like I'm just like all over the place because I'm like I'm trying to focus on something and like a bird flies by my window. Ooh, look, a bird. You know, like we have a tendency to lose focus. In fact, it's easier to notice this in other people. Uh, like how many of you are parents and you have kids? Isn't it crazy how quickly your kids will lose focus? So like you tell them, grab your clothes and take them to your room and like 30 seconds later, there's a pile of clothes on the ground, and they're watching Spongebob, and you're like, what happened, right? Like, hello, hello. I remember the first time I got an F, the first time I failed one of my assignments as a kid. Now, so they don't give Fs anymore, because we don't want kids to feel bad about themselves. Now you get a 1.5 with a star next to it and a smiley face, because we want you to feel good about the fact that you're failing and you can't do math. But anyways... That, what, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, don't, don't lose focus, okay? Don't lose focus. Like, I remember, okay, there's a third grade. We had an assignment, and it was, it was a field trip assignment. I was excited about it because for a week we had been talking about all of the things we were going to get to do on this. And it was very clear because for third grade, it's simple. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go on a nature trail, and we're going to collect leaves, and, and we're going to bring a notebook with us, and, and we're going to collect these leaves, and then we're going to write down observations about the leaves. How big is the leaf? What color is it? All this sort of stuff. We talked about this in class for like a whole week. Now, guys, remember your notebooks, remember your pencil, remember a Ziploc bag so we can collect the leaves. This is what we're doing. I remember it was the day of the school field trip. It was the assignment. We showed up at the top of this nature trail and we were pumped. And and the teacher set us down and he split us up into like little groups of four and you got a couple groups of like the goody two-shoe girls over here and, 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 and some of the good students over here. And then you had my group that was over here. And and I looked, and, and he's starting to say, now, I hope you guys got everything you need. I'm like, um, hey, uh, did you bring a pencil? No, I didn't. Shh, don't look at it. Ask her. And like, you know, like, I, I don't have anything. Do you have a notebook? Do you have a Ziploc? We, we don't have anything, right? But why, how did we get paired up together? We wanted to be with one of the smart kids in their group. You know, that's what I was thinking. And we get down there, and he goes, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. Remember, this is what we talked about all week. We're going to collect leaves, and we're going to write down observations about it. This is what we're going to do. Stay focused. Stay on task. This is what we're going to do. We start heading down the trail, and, of course, the, the, the good groups were moving ahead, and they were, they were picking leaves off of this and leaves off of that, and this one's really pretty here. And we're walking along, and one of my friends, Wes, he looks down, and he goes, oh, my gosh, a snake. And we couldn't believe it. We found a snake. 
Like, this isn't the rattlesnake type of snake. This is, a, this is just a garden snake. We can catch this thing. So we spent the next five minutes catching this snake. It took all of us. We, like, tackled this thing, like, in football. We got a hold of it. The thing got its head out, whipped around, and got my friend Wes right in the thumb. So he's screaming now. He's got blood pouring off of him. We're going, if they find out he got bit by a snake, we're all going to get sent home. This is a bad thing. So now we're hiding in the ditch, and we're trying to wash ourselves off in the ditch to get the blood off of him, and we slip and fall, and we're covered in mud now. We're like, we don't even know where our class is. So we run, and we catch up to the group, and they're like getting back in the van. Like, where's your last group? Come on, let's get in the van. Let's go. We get back to school, right? We get back to school and we're going, that was the most awesome adventure ever. And the teacher starts asking questions. He says, okay, group number one, how many leaves did you collect? We got 11. Group number two, how many did you get? We got 23. And then that, that group of girls, you know, the, the goody two-shoe girls, how many did you get? We got 37 and we alphabetized them and, and they're, they're actually in a file folder right here. And I'm thinking, like, one of you guys got, grabbed a leaf, right? <laughs> like, so, somewhere along the way, like, maybe there's a one in your pocket from, from the snake fight that took place. Like, someone's got a leaf, right? And we're looking, finally, like, I'm leaning over, and it's like, hey, uh, can, can you spare a leaf? And they're like, no, I can't spare a leaf. It's already got a place in its notebook here. And I'm like, like just give me a stinking leaf before he calls on us. No, I'm like, see if I ever give you a leaf if you want one. I learned a lot of things that day. I learned you shouldn't wash off a snake bite in a muddy creek. I learned you shouldn't chase snakes when you're on a field trip looking for leaves. But most importantly, I learned how quickly and how easily we can lose focus. We were there for one reason. One reason of collecting leaves. You go, how is it that we got that messed up? How do we get that off track? How is it I'm bringing home a paper with the big red F on it because that's the way they used to do it back then and having to show my mom? And we look at kids and go, how, is, what in the world, why, how could you lose focus like that? But let's not pick on kids too much because really I, I want to talk about us today. Because uh, I heard an interview with Dave Ramsey. How many of you have done Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey? Wonderful guy. You've heard this interview then if you've taken this course. He's got the influence uh, to meet with millionaires. And, and he's met with uh, many NFL athletes. And he has a friend who is an NFL athlete. So he wasn't being rude. But he had a conversation with him. And he asked this athlete, he said, okay, let's just be honest. You're a wide receiver. You make $10 million a year to catch a ball. Like... <laughs> That's all you got to do, just catch the ball. Six days a week you get up and you train and people throw balls at you and you catch them. That's what you do. And you get $10 million a year. So how is it? Dave, Dave asked this guy. How is it then on game day the quarterback throws you the ball, it's a perfect spiral, it hits you in the hands and you drop the ball? And when he, this NFL athlete answered, it's been something that's kind of stuck with me because I think it's something we could all relate to. He goes, it's as simple as this. I just lost focus. 
just, just for a brief moment, I lost focus. Like, I'm there to catch the ball. That's, you're right. That's why I have a purpose on the team. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. But just for a brief moment, I thought, well, wow, those fans are louder. You look, you can see me on the Megatron. That's really cool. Like, in whatever it was, I'm thinking about what's going to take place after the game. But just for a brief moment, I lost focus of what was really important. And, and I missed out on what I was actually there to do. It's interesting because we all have done this. We've done it in life. We've done it in our families. We've done it in work. We've done it in raising our kids. But as a church, we can do it. It can be, it's sad sometimes, but it can also be kind of funny sometimes when you see, when, when churches lose focus of like, what, like, do you really know what you're here for? Do you really know the point? My wife and I, we love doing this. We'll drive around town and we'll drive, especially in different cities, um, we'll find church signs that, like, old church signs have marquees on them, so you can write whatever you want to write on a marquee. (laughs) And if you've ever seen these, some of them, it's pretty funny. We actually have a collection of them that I wanted to share with you here today. Honk, if you love Jesus, text while driving if you want to meet him. Here's another one. Looking for a sign from God, this is it. That was clever. They, they put on, you know, whoever stole our AC unit, keep one. It's hot where you're going. <laughs> whoever stole our mower, God will get you. <laughs> like, who's this, this committee of people that think God is going to get you somehow? Then we got another one. Um, <laughs> Sunday, 11 a.m., going to hell, you are welcome. now is a good time to visit our pastor's on vacation i don't know who that pastor upset to get that sign he's like hey this is a great time you don't have to hear him speak why don't you come this week like we see that and we see it's funny right but but it also so so clearly shows how easily we can lose focus of of what's the main thing right because Jesus tells us, this is a church, I mean, the main thing's the main thing. We're going to look at it a lot. He says it a lot. He says it over and over again. Just like a teacher with a class full of kids, he's saying, no, guys, don't lose focus. This is what it's all about. And he tells us over and over again, if you were one of my followers, you were supposed to go out and introduce other people to me. You're supposed to invite people to come and meet me. You're supposed to go out and, and, and teach people about me. That's, that's like the main thing. So, so let's not get too judgmental too quick and point the finger at these church signs and, and, and at the NFL players and stuff like that to go, wow, I can't believe they've lost focus because a lot of times we lose focus on what God says is the main thing and, and, and it's because we get caught up on something that's, that's a good thing. It's not the central thing, it's not the, the main thing he said, but it was still a good thing. And, and I wonder how often do we get caught up when we look at church on the weekend and we go, man, I hope they sing that song that I like to sing this week. Or, man, I wonder who's speaking this weekend. I wonder if they're going to say anything about what they said on the news this last week. I wonder if they're going to do this. I wonder if they're going to do that. It's like we get our focus where now all of a sudden I'm looking over here and do, can you believe they didn't sing the song I wanted? They don't have the small group curriculum that I was talking about one. And how quickly do we get off track to where it's like, God says, this is the main thing. Keep it the main thing. And we're like, no, I'm chasing this over here now. I found the snake. We're going to catch the snake, right? Over and over again, Jesus made it clear 
This is the main thing, to be my follower. When he called the disciples, he first found a couple of fishermen, and he, he told the fishermen, he said, right now what you do with your life is you catch fish, but I want you to become my follower, and, and being my follower, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. You're going to spend the rest of your life, if you are a Christ follower, you're going to spend the rest of your life catching people going after them and teaching them that they can have a relationship with the God who loves them. That Jesus paid the price for our sins and you can have that personal relationship. He goes on over and over and over in scripture to the great commission where he tells every one of us, he says, I want you to go to the ends of the world and make sure that there is not a single person on this planet who goes through their life without hearing the fact that God loves them. It's your job to go find people and bring them back to me. It's your job to go on assignment and teach people about me. After Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, he, he comes back and, and spends some more time with the apostles. And spending time with them, he reminds them again, like, guys, you, you get caught up on all these other things, you know. And, and, and I just want to remind you again what this is about. Go into the world and tell people about me. That person sitting next to you, they might not have a personal relationship with me. They might be going to hell. They, they might not have a home forever in heaven. So and introduce them to me. And he had to do this over and over again. It had to have been frustrating with them because here he's got a group of 12 guys who lived with him. They spent all of their time with Jesus, just right there by his side. And they would get sidetracked all the time. We're like, Peter all of a sudden is thinking, well, maybe this is a political issue, and now, now they're coming to arrest Jesus, and maybe we should attack this political party. So he takes a swing with the sword and hacks off an ear. He's trying to hack the guy's head off, and Jesus is going, stop it. Now I've got to heal this guy, and it's never been about a political issue. It's not about a political thing. There's something greater than that, and the greater is that he can have a relationship with me. He can have a home forever in heaven. You see, in John 9, it's, it's crazy because Some, sometimes the disciples are like thinking maybe it's a political thing. Maybe we're going to overthrow Rome. And, and then other times they're thinking it's a church denomination thing. In John chapter 9, there's actually a recorded story where some of the disciples find out that there's another group of people who believe in Jesus and who are praying over people in Jesus' name and people are getting healed in Jesus' name. So their idea that they bring to Jesus is, Jesus, do you think we should call down fire from heaven to destroy them because they're not part of our church? Because they're not part of us? And the Bible just says, clearly, Jesus is like, he rebukes them, like, come on, you idiots, let's move on. Um, because remember, the whole point is that every person should have a relationship with me, a personal relationship with Jesus. And you might be going, oh, pastor, I've heard this message before. You've taught this message before. Let me let you in on it. Yes, I've taught this message before several times. And my father's taught this message before. Pastor Tim and Pastor JL and, and my wife and so many of our teachers here, we've taught this message over and over and over again. And, and I can assure you, that, that as long as God continues to lead us to do so, I know it's in my heart right now, you're going to hear this message over and over again. Why? Because it is so easy to lose focus. It's so easy to get caught up in thinking that really what the church should be about is this. What the church should be about is this. What my life should be about is that. It should be this political hot button issue right here. This is taking place on social media. This or that. And Jesus is going, no. 
It's about introducing people into a personal relationship with me. So if you're here today and you're, you're a veteran from, from Fellowship Church, you've been coming here for decades. There's some of you, you've been in here for 27 years, part of Fellowship Church. Then, then I want to I congratulate you. For, for your years of faithfulness, I want to tell you that this is a great week for you. This is one, don't check out, don't lose focus, because it can be a refocusing that we can get right back on the track of what Jesus wants us to do. But then maybe today um, you're new to Fellowship Church. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe you've only been here for a little bit. I'm excited that you're here because you're going to get to hear the heartbeat of Fellowship Church, why we're here, why we're doing what we're doing, what Jesus says our lives are all about once he's forgiven us of our sins and we become his followers. So we're going to dive into this today, and I hope that every person in this room will leave here with a reignited passion and a, re, a refocus of what Jesus would have us to do. So would you pray with me as we dive into this? Uh, God, I know that in just the moments we have together, I believe you want to, to reignite something in us. You want to refocus us. You want to keep us on track so we don't get off fighting things that don't need to be fought and and focused on things that we shouldn't be focused on. So help us today, Lord. I pray you speak to us each. God, convict us each. That in this time, your Holy Spirit would tell us exactly what you want us to hear from your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have the mission statement of Fellowship Church. And we'll put it up on the side screens. And it's very simply this. It's to connect the unconnected to Jesus Christ. And together grow in full devotion to him. The... The reason that Fellowship Church exists is to connect the unconnected to Jesus Christ and together grow in full devotion to him. This is not a social club. You know, this is not just somewhere where we come and hang out. This is not somewhere where we come and just try to get together and do humanitarian acts. The purpose of Fellowship Church is to connect unconnected people to Jesus. And we didn't just think this up on our own. This wasn't a group of guys getting together going, oh, what do you think would be a good mission statement? This is what Jesus said. And we took what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, and we heard from God that this is the mandate of our church. This is the mandate of what people, Christians, in Grand Junction are supposed to do. And we get it right out of Scripture here, Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. I love the, the, the paraphrased version of this from Eugene Peterson. is written this way. Jesus sent his 12 harvest hands out. He's talking about the disciples. He's saying, I'm sending you out. I want to refocus you and remind you what the purpose is. He says this, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. See, this is important to catch so that we don't get caught up in the idea of traveling to some far off place and, and ignoring the person that we live next to that might be dying and going to hell. It's important that we, 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 we understand what Jesus is saying here to start at home, start in our own neighborhood so we don't concern ourselves with orphans on the other side of the world and ignore the own orphans that we have in our own city here. Now, is that a good thing? Are we supposed to go that far? Absolutely we are, but he's saying first. He's saying don't begin, don't start off by traveling to some far off place to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by ta tackling some big, political, uh, some big public enemy. 
See, Jesus is saying this because he knows it is a lot easier for us to tackle a big public enemy. It is easier for us to go picket an abortion clinic. It is easier for us to get in an argument about which candidate might be more moral than the other candidate. It's so much easier to get on the big dramatic issues than it is to just tell your uncle that Jesus loves him. Or to show up on a Tuesday night and give some support to a high schooler and, and pray for them for some hope. For some students who are just in the world who you see are hurting and, and feel so hopeless right now. It's so much easier to get on Facebook and say all the mean types of stuff that you want to say about things you disagree with. And he's going, don't tackle big dramatic stuff. Instead, start, start, start right where you're at. Start with the connections that you have. He says, don't try to be dramatic by tackling some public enemy. Go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood, right here in Grand Junction, right here in Fruit, right here in Mesa County. Tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Guys, this is the good news. We don't deserve the generosity of God. We don't deserve the forgiveness and the grace that he gives us, but he generously offers it to us anyways, and our lives should reflect that. And just like he generously offers forgiveness and grace to us, we should reflect that in the fact that we should be generously, generously offering grace and forgiveness and love to one another. So Jesus so clearly wants us to understand the point of this is that you take the message of Christ's love to your neighborhood, to the soccer field, to your workplace, to, to those group of people that you sit next to in the cubicle that week after week after week, like you talk about what's going on on the weekend, what are you doing this Friday, and he's saying, start there. These are the lost, confused, hurting people, and I want you to go to those people in your neighborhood and tell them about my love. Now, see, I think a message like this is, it's the focus. It's clear. It's, it, it's simple what he wants us to do, and he reminds us over and over again, that's what life is about. That's what being a follower of Christ is all about. But it can seem a little daunting, so what I want to do today is I want to just give you three very simple, quick, important points to make this practical, to make it easy. What does it look like to tell your friends about Jesus? What does it look like to go out and, and invite people into church? So three points that I want to give you today before you leave. Write these down. Take pictures on your phone. Uh, you know, it used to be people bring notebooks in. That doesn't happen anymore. It cracks me up that every time there's a point that comes up on the side screen, there's like 75 phones that'll pop up and take a picture of it. That's awesome. I love it. You know, put it on Facebook or Instagram. I don't care. But, but whatever you do, make sure you get this and start practicing this on an everyday basis. Reaching my neighborhood. Number one, identify and pray for people in your life that don't know God. Identify and pray for people in your life that don't know God. We go, okay, here's, here's the point on prayer. Yeah, it is. Because I can tell you that I miss this one a lot. I miss it a lot. There, there's a lot of times that like, I think about what's my plan of attack. I want to go, go accomplish something. I want to go fix something. But what Jesus shows us is he says when it goes to, comes to reaching your neighborhood, reaching the rest of the world and teaching them about my love, the very first thing you're supposed to do is identify those people that don't know me and start praying for them. 
Look at this, Matthew 9, 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness, every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He's saying, there's people all around here that need a relationship with God. They need to know that I came to forgive them of their sins. They need to know they can have a home forever in heaven. The, the harvest is plentiful, but, but the problem is the laborers are few. There's not enough people to go out and tell them. So this is the strategy he gives us in verse 38. Therefore, Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So Jesus said, there's a huge problem here. People need to know me. There are people that are dying and going to hell. There are people in, in your city that are hopeless because they don't have a relationship with God. There's a problem. He says, so, so what I want you to do is pray. And you Pray, not, not go, not go help them. But he says, pray. I, I want you to pray for them first. To me, I think about this would be like a football team going out where the coach gets them pumped up. Guys, we're going to go out there. We're going to destroy them. We're going to win today. We're going to hit them hard. We're going we're to take it to the very end. We're going to run the clock out. We're going to go. Are you ready to go? And everyone's like, yeah, we're ready to go. And he goes, okay, take your pads off and let's sit down. I'm like, what? No, no, you just pumped us up so we can go. And, he, and God is saying, I want to pump you up so now you can pray for them. Now you can pray for those people that are lost that go to your workplace. Now you can pray for your neighbors. Now you can pray for your family members. And notice that Jesus told us specifically how to pray. Because what a lot of us would do then is we'd say, God, I pray you'd save my neighbor. I pray you'd save my cousin. You know, I, I pray that you would, you, you would save my, my friend, that, that friend that's turned his back on you. I pray that you'd save him. But that's not what Jesus says to pray at all. In fact, he makes it clear. He says, pray this. He goes, pray, God, send a worker to my neighbor who will tell them about Jesus. Pray that you would send a laborer into the field who, 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 would, who would tell them about Jesus, who would tell them they need a relationship with God. So he's saying, don't pray, God, save my cousin Teresa. He's saying, no, don't pray that. He said, pray this. Pray, God, send someone to Teresa who knows you and who knows Teresa and who loves you and who loves Teresa, who would tell Teresa about your love for Teresa. God, would you send, because my cousin Teresa, she needs you, so would you send someone who knows Teresa to go to Teresa and tell her about your love for her? And all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute. I thought I was praying for Teresa, but just realized I'm praying for myself. See, I, I thought I was praying that, that someone would go fix it, but wait, if the answer to what I'm praying, but according to what Jesus says to pray, um, is, is that we send someone who knows Teresa, who loves Teresa, who would tell her about Jesus, then, then Jesus, would you work on me? Would you get me ready? Would you get me ready to go out to a person who so desperately needs you and share your love with them? So I think on this first point, you got to make it clear. you got to make it practical. I want to encourage you right now, in your phone, write down the name of someone that you should be praying for. Write down the name of a lost family member, a lost coworker, someone that you can start praying for. This could be easy. 
you could check out right now. You go, you know what? It's a good message, left here today, and not doing anything about it. But if we focus the way that Jesus tells us to focus, I wonder, who is it right now? You already know the name. Write down that name. Start praying for them. Pray, God, send someone to them. Number one, you've got to identify and pray for people in your life that don't know God. Number two, that brings us to the second part, is invite them to come and see. Invite them to come and see. The next day, this is uh, John 1, 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathanael asked. I love this response from Philip. He says, come and see. Just come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching him, he said, here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? So, so this is the first encounter that Nathanael thinks he has with Jesus, but Jesus created Nathanael. So Jesus is showing him who he is by going, I already know all about you. I already know what's going on in your life. I already know your dreams. I already know what's happening in you right now. I know what you're searching for. He's having an encounter with the Son of God right now. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So Philip, when he first encountered Jesus, the very first inclination he had is he went, if I just met the Son of God, it's not okay that I keep this to myself. i got to invite other people to come meet as well. So for 2,000 years, there have been people that have been, just like Philip, inviting people, come and see. Inviting their cousins, inviting their dad. Going, Look, I, I, just, I just met Jesus. you got to come and see. you got to come with me. There are some of you in this room today, you're here because someone took this step of faith and they said, come and see, and they invited you. But the truth is, not every invitation is received well. Because when, when Philip invited Nathaniel, I want, I want you to just come and see. I, I, I met the Son of God. I met Jesus. I, I met the Savior of the world. you got to come and see. And, and, and what Nathaniel's response was, was, Nazareth? Man, can anything good come from Nazareth? you got to be kidding me. Really? It, and what's so beautiful about this and what can take so much pressure off of you is because I think a lot of us don't invite people because we're afraid we don't know what to do when we get into the argument. When they, when they don't want the invitation and they start to say, well, Fellowship Church, I heard all about that place. Man, I heard, they're all crazy there. They all think they're, they're above people there. You know, like, people only go there because of how good looking that pastor is anyways, you know. It's like, you, you've heard it, right? Maybe. I don't know. But you've heard it. And this is the thing. Take this strategy into your own life. Because Philip, he didn't have all the answers. And instead of getting in an argument, he's going, I'm not going to get in an argument. I just, listen, listen. I met Jesus and it changed my life. So I'm just going to invite you. Come and see. Well, what about this? Just come and see. Well, why do bad things happen across the world? Just come and see. 
I think there's some of you in this room that this is going to release you today because you've been afraid to invite people to church simply from the fact that you feel like you don't have all the answers. And the truth is, if you wait till you have all the answers, you will never invite a person to come and meet Jesus. You've got to just say, come and see. And that brings us to the last point today before we close. is to tell your story. Tell your story. We see in the book of John, we see, in chapter 9, actually, we see that there's a story where there was a blind man and he was healed. Jesus went and he made mud, put it in the guy's eyes, healed, healed the blind man. He went off and washed his eyes clean. All of a sudden, he could see. And there was Pharisees that were trying to, to, trying to pit people against Jesus, saying, well, Jesus, he can't be healing people because he's a sinner. Don't you think he's a sinner? Don't you this? Don't you that? They take the blind man, and they bring him up in front of a council full of people, and the Pharisees start questioning them, and they go, well, don't you think that this Jesus is a sinner? And I love it because all he did is he told his story. Verse 25 says he replied whether he is a sinner or not I don't know one thing I do know I was blind but now I see I don't have all the answers but what I do have is a story I was messed up and then and then Jesus started changing my life I was messed up, I was blind, I was hurting, and he forgave me. I was addicted, and he broke me free from the chains of addiction. I, I, I've got a story. I don't have all the answers, but i got a story. I wonder, are you willing to tell your story? Because in sharing the message of God, we each have a story, and your story is important. But the enemy will tell you that your story isn't important because it's probably not epic enough. It's not big enough. Because we've all seen on TV, we've heard, we've heard the guy with the testimony. He's like, I was a gangbanger. I was hooked on heroin. I got shot four times and like, uh, and I like died three times or something like that. And then uh, I woke up in prison and someone gave me a Bible. And then I, I got saved and I preached to the whole prison and they all got saved. And there's like, like a revival going on in the prison. My life doesn't sound anything like that. And there's a lot of us, since we feel like maybe our story isn't epic enough, we, we don't share it. But really, in sharing our story, more people can start to understand the love of God. Sharing your story is simple. You say, this is who I was, this is how I met Jesus, and this is who I am now. My story sounds like I grew up in church. I was in church every Sunday morning. I was a good kid. I, I, I did what I was told to do by my parents. I obeyed. Uh, I was there uh, Sunday morning. I was there Sunday night. I was in Bible studies. I did all that sort of stuff. But one day I realized that I was doing this because this was my parents' thing. And I heard a message, and the, the preacher was talking about the fact that, that you know what, going to church isn't going get to get you into heaven. Being good isn't going to be what gets you into heaven, but you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus where you ask him to forgive you of your sins. And, and if you do that, then you can have a home forever in heaven. And I remember going home and asking my parents, am I going to go to heaven or am I going to go to hell? And they said, have you ever asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? So there's a little boy right there in our living room. I prayed and said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I, I want you to be my God. I want you to lead me in life. I want to go to heaven when I die. And from that day forward, I felt Jesus' leadings in my life. There's been a lot of times I've felt his leadings and I've done the exact opposite things. 
He's led me to do good and I've sinned instead. He's led me to not go to a party and I went to a party instead. He's led me to not do this or not do that. And I've, I've done the wrong thing so many times. But ever since then, I feel like my God speaks to me and he leads me to a better life. So you might go, well, that doesn't sound like an epic story. But I'll tell you what, it's powerful because my story teaches people this. But Lord, a lot of your stories teach people is that good people don't go to heaven. Good people go to hell. But only forgiven people go to heaven. And when you can share your story, and it doesn't have to sound like gangbanger, but you recognize I was messed up and he forgave me and he loved me and he gave me another chance, people can start to recognize, then you know what? God could love me and he could forgive me and he could give me another chance too. Would you bow your heads with me? God, it's so easy for us to lose focus. It's so easy for us to, to get all caught up on this news thing, that news thing. Our church should be doing this, we should be doing that, singing this song. All the junk that we always mess up with. And God, we pray that you forgive us for that. And I pray today that you would help us to refocus and remember that the main thing is that we are talking to our friends about you, that we're praying for them, that we're inviting them to church, we're inviting them to places where they can learn about you, and we're telling our story because, God, we know you love our friends, you love our coworkers, you love our family members. So, God, we pray that right now you would begin to prepare the workers that you want to send to them. Prepare the people that will go to them, that love them, and that love you, that will tell our loved ones about you. Thank you so much for your love, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In fact, you can do that right now. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me if you haven't already done so. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are the Lord and that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. And thank you, God, for that fact. I ask that you now be my savior to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. If you prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer for any reason, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or on the web at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week.